Welcome to the Train Right Podcast, presented by CTS, a podcast about furthering human performance in endurance sports. I'm your host, Hillary Allen. Former pro cyclist, Olympian, coach, and visionary entrepreneur, Chris Carmichael, founded CTS 20 years ago as the first world-class online coaching solution built to deliver results to pro and amateur endurance athletes. Chris and his team of 50 plus certified coaches are completely driven by innovation and catalyzing new levels of success for the thousands of athletes that they coach daily. Whether you're a pro or a dedicated time crunched amateur, you're about to learn exactly what's working best today and what's not to get faster, stronger, and achieve your goals from the most experienced team of coaches working in endurance today. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by Viome. Viome helps you take control of your health so you can improve your energy, inflammation, and immune system health. Viome's award-winning at-home test measure your cellular, mitochondrial, and microbiome health, giving you powerful insights with over 30 health scores. Then they help nourish you by providing precise whole food and supplement recommendations based on your unique biology at a molecular level. And finally, watch your health scores improve over time by subscribing to your precision supplements, following your food recommendations, and retesting. Viome has partnered with the Mayo Clinic, United Health Group, GSK, and others, and is used by Olympic gold medalists and elite professional athletes. Go to Viome.com and learn how you can get your unique insights for better health and wellness. Use the promo code TRAINRIGHT, all caps, at checkout to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, and here we have Caitlin Gervin. Thanks so much for joining us on the Train Right Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. It's really awesome to get to talk to you from across the world. <laughs> I know. So well, tell us where you are in the world right now. I am in Issaquah, Washington, which is about 15 miles outside of east of Seattle. Okay. So I feel like we're kind of in similar climates though, at least maybe like in the Alps and France, I think Pacific Northwest in the US. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've actually been really lucky to have a few weeks of really abnormally nice weather for spring. So (laughs) I've been like, I mean, it's been a blessing and a curse at the same time because it's always easier to stay inside and get work done and be productive inside the house when it's rainy and gross outside. (laughs) But we've had like really pretty nice and warm, sunny weather, which is a nice treat, I guess. Oh, yeah. I know. I actually had to escape down south to get a little bit more of that nice weather. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of Colorado. So I've been I've been grateful for that, too. But um, so a couple things like we're new teammates. So you recently joined the North Face team this year. Yeah, I I, I did. And I'm I'm super, super excited about that. I couldn't be more stoked to be on the team and be, uh, I guess, be able to call myself a teammate with people like you. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. Actually, we've we met. I believe the first time I met you, you were running a race. I believe it was the Bear 2018. Oh, really? Yeah, that might have been. I remember this because I was pacing my coach, Adam St. Pierre, and Uh I was just you know I was running again after like all my injuries and stuff, and I was like just so psyched to be there. I was like crewing all night, and I was gonna like pace him for I don't know how many miles, but um. I remember seeing you because you were obviously, well, 
yeah, you were ahead of him. <laughs> and I remember, I was like, oh yeah, that's Caitlin. She's so badass. And I remember like, just like high-fiving you. I think at the, at the end of the race, I was like, cause I'm so awkward, like nervously was like, oh, good job. Cause I like, yeah. <laughs> you, mean you were awkward to give me a high five. That seems like it's backwards. No, no, it's like it's how I was because I had never. Um, I well, I still haven't run my first hundred mile race, but I, uh, I remember like I was getting. I really wanted to kind of test myself with the longer distances, and I was just doing that. So I really, obviously, still do think like you're a completely badass athlete. So I was like super stoked when you're on the North Face team too. <laughs> oh, cool! That's awesome. <laughs> Little tidbit there. I remember that. Um, but so. I mean, speaking of like training outside when it's raining, you had actually, you had to train through probably a pretty crappy winter season because earlier this year, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, you were one of the few athletes who's actually been able to race this year, but you did, uh, the coastal challenge in Costa Rica, um, and you trained through the winter for that. Yes. Um, yeah. And every year that I make this decision, I tell myself this is going to be the last year that I do an early season race just because it, it can be so brutal sometimes. But um, I, you know, especially given the situation, obviously, I'm, I'm super happy that I made the call I, I did to do some early season racing. Um, but yeah, winter winter here in the Northwest is um, can be can be pretty tough to train through. Um, there's a lot of uh, I don't know. Uh, it just really like mentally challenges you, I think, to get outside because for a lot of us, you're usually running in the dark um, in the morning or in the evenings after work. And we don't, I mean, we, you know, we have, we have daylight here, obviously, but usually, you know, in some parts of the winter, it's not really getting bright until eight. And then it starts getting dark at four. And we have a lot of gray, cloudy, overcast, kind of rainy days. And so a lot of times, even in the mornings and the evenings, it's, it never really gets very bright. So there just can be a lot of darkness and it's also everything is, is wet and soggy. So it can, it can be tricky (laughs) sometimes to just get out day after day and train through that. Um, But, you know, on the flip side, we also have like such amazing, uh, cool, like just deep, dark forests here and sometimes like having that kind of moody Northwest weather where it's just fog that's seeping in and out of all these old growth trees and bright green moss. And it's a little bit muddy and soggy and slippery. And you kind of like, once you get in it, you really love it and you don't want to be anywhere else. Um, so it, it can be really, really fun at the same time. Oh man, see, this is actually the first year that I've experienced something like that because living in Colorado, I mean, we just have like this dry, arid climate and usually it just, you know, it's pretty, it's snowy and cold, but in the springtime we kind of, we have like ice season or like (laughs) mud season, but, um, yeah, this was my first time kind of training in a similar, in a similar atmosphere and like, yeah, I actually was thinking of you because I was like, oh, yeah, like I've got some newfound respect for like training in the Pacific Northwest. And mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, going, I mean, we're gonna touch on just just a little bit of like obviously like the racing and stuff because um, I'm just curious. Like, you got into the sport in 2014. That yeah, 2014 was my first 50k, and that was my first trail race too. Yeah. Okay. So it's like similar timelines. I was about the same. Like 2014 was my first, yeah. My first like trail running season. And oh, cool. um, yeah, it's so crazy. We're about um, the same age too. We like so took, a, took off the deep. Both, 
Yeah. Yeah. How old are you? I, I'm turning 31. No, wait, wait. How old? Okay. Ooh, happy birthday. Yeah. Thank Early you. birthday. Yeah. In, in like two weeks. <laughs> yes. My, for oh, some reason, yeah. for some reason, like my ultra sign up and my year, like I, my itra everywhere, everywhere says I'm 31 already. I don't know why, but I'm like looked at that the other day because I was trying to check if the race statuses were updated and I'm like, oh, why am I not 31 yet? Come on. <laughs> but I'm close. I wonder if they say I'm 32. That would be, oh man. Yeah, because my birthday is August 26th. So okay. maybe they already have it updated. But so this is actually what I kind of wanted to get into because your first race is in 2014, first 50K. That's about when mine, mine was. And I didn't have the courage to try a 100-mile race, well, almost a 100-mile race, <laughs> until uh, last year at TDS. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, some things happened, you know, in the interim, you know, maybe I did, could have tried it earlier. But um, when was your first 100 mile race and kind of like into the the longer races? So yeah, my first 100 was Pine to Palm in Ashland, mm-hmm. Oregon, and that was in 2016. Okay. So, and, so- okay, I mean, like, so the funny thing is, I, I think like, I wouldn't have done that race if it wasn't for uh, a little bit of a spark of craziness and a little bit of stupidity at the same time, which is maybe how everyone signs up for these races. <laughs> but I, I at the time was was in grad school and had been doing a few. At that point, I had done. I think I ran my first fifty mile and hundred k, um, but was mostly doing fifty k races. And mm-hmm. I had just set out in my mind, like, there, I'm way too busy right now. There's no way I have time to train for 100. So I kind of just said to myself, I'm not going to do this until after I graduate, which, you know, would have been, it, I was in like a six-year-long program. So it, it, that would have been a while. Um, <laughs> and so I uh, had heard of, uh, actually, I think it was through the Ginger Runner, Ethan Newberry and um, Kim Newberry, who live in Seattle now. So they had done a video on the Squamish 50-50. So this is one of mm-hmm. Gary Robbins' races that's up in um, Squamish, British Columbia. And it's essentially a 50-mile race one day with a 50K the following day. And there's a crazy amount of vert, really technical mountain bike, um, kind of techie trails. And I, for some reason, thought that, well, I can't, I, I don't have time to train for 100, but I have time to train for this. So I'm going to just like make that happen. Because to me, it, it seemed less intimidating, I guess, because it was essentially two back-to-back really long runs. And I was already kind of doing that style of training for a lot of my 50Ks. Um, And it also kind of suited my lifestyle, which was a lot of my, pretty much all of my midweek training at that time was just running back and forth to lab from my house, which was Mm. three miles each way. So I was running not very much, but, you know, consistently double, you know, three miles one way, three miles home. And sometimes I would kind of lengthen that um, just to make a longer route on the way home. And then on the weekends, you know, I'd, I'd go and try to, that's when I would get most of my miles just because that's the time that I had available to do that. Um, and so I kind of thought that, okay, you know, this is, I can't run a hundred, but maybe I could do this. That would be a really cool challenge. And then in the process of training for that, race. Uh, it was in the summer and my husband and I were out in the North Cascades and we just had clipped off this like epic route that of like this 40 mile 
adventure route. Basically, that is usually a, a backpacking route. And it was one of these things that had been on my list for a long time. But I was like, well, I don't know when I'm going to have, you know, four days to go backpack this loop. So, you know, eventually the cool thing about ultra running is you just get to the point where you can do that kind of thing in, in a single day. So we did that and had plans to run the next day. And I just realized, I'm like, you know what? Like, there is no way that anyone training for 100 runs more than this. Like, this is like insane. Like, this is a this is more than anyone would want to run. So I kind of, <laughs> I, I like told my, I was like laying in the tent that night and thinking like, okay, if I wake up tomorrow and we can do this run that we have planned tomorrow and, and I feel okay, then I'm going to try to sign up for 100. And so I ended up um, signing up for Pine to Palm which was three weeks after Squamish 50-50. And so I signed up for it, I think like a month and a half before the race. And it was just because I'm like, I feel like I'm as trained as I will ever be. I might as well try to do it. So I just didn't really know what I was doing and, and signed up and jumped into it. So I'm, I'm so glad I did. But also, like, I don't really know what I was thinking. <laughs> Well, I mean, as a coach, yeah, it's true. It's like, I mean, people training for hundred mile races, they don't run more than like maybe like there's a fifty mile race, like in a like a build up. But I mean, yeah, heck, I don't even have a lot of my my athletes like do fifty mile races leading up to a hundred k or a hundred mile race because sometimes again they don't have time, just like you were saying. Um, so, and how did that first race go? Like, did you did you like it? Yeah, uh, I. I actually re- loved it. I mean, it was hard. I had a lot of um, a lot of challenges and things that you know. Just of course, things are going to come up when you're doing that kind of a distance. And I also didn't really know what my what my body would do when I was out running for that long. Um, yeah. So you know, there there are things to work through, but overall, like I had a really great experience and um, really loved the distance and ended up kind of feeling like maybe this is my thing. Like maybe this like long distance thing, like I really like this. And and somehow I know I was tired at the end, but I didn't feel as tired as I thought I should. Right. And um, yeah. yeah, so I, I had a good, a really good experience then and was kind of at that point thinking like, okay, when, when am I going to do my next hundred? <laughs> that is so awesome. That is so cool. Cause like thinking about it, like I think some people really have a strong, like positive feeling or it takes like a long time to like, for the for them to learn um mm-hmm. but then from then it's like this is also one of these reasons why like I mean I admire you as an athlete because you kind of like you decided that this is the stuff that you're good at and you've pursued that so I mean even last year but now um like you finished second on the ultra trail world tour um and this year you actually you also had a pretty strong start to it what made you decide to no don't like take that to the next level I feel like it's one thing like racing hundred mile races, but then it's another thing racing like multiple long distance races in a year. Yeah. Um, that, that's a a good question. A good point. I think like everyone's, everyone is going to, you know, respond differently to that distance. And I, I think for sure it would have been too much for me to jump into another long distance race soon after that first hundred. So I, I know mm-hmm. I did I did Squamish fifty fifty and then three weeks later was Pine to Palm. I don't mm-hmm. know that that is the best approach because that is pretty close. They were three weeks apart, um, mm-hmm. and essentially during that three week time, I I did almost zero running. Um, I was out walking and just kind of active recovery, but I was definitely not doing any additional training during that time. Um, mm-hmm. And so actually, 
you know, I've, I've kind of taken that approach now for almost every year where I've run a hundred, um, I guess, well, actually that, that my next hundred was Western States. So that's at the end of June. And then the follow that same year. So I ran Western States in June and then I believe it was Cascade Crest, which was in August. So two months later, mm-hmm. then I ran Cascade Crest and then the same year or the following year, I did Western States and then doubled up with Bear. Um, and then last year, I was in Western States again and had planned to do UTMB and ended up not doing that and instead doing the Infinity Loop, which is a, a longer um, hmm. distance adventure too. But um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think like part of it is is that I'm really comfortable going into a race with a lot of training and then being okay to turn the switch off and 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 really you know focus on recovery and not do a lot of training in between those that next race and I think yeah. you keep a pretty good baseline level of fitness like you really don't lose that that much and you definitely don't need to be doing really long distance things during that time it's just kind of more tuning so I've in the past especially with Western states being early summer. You know, I've taken then usually July to just kind of chill out and then I'll, I'll focus on doing different kinds of adventures in the mountains. And then my training, you know, normally for that second hundred is mostly based on just adventures that I'm, I'm planning, not any actual real focused um, heavy duty training, because I think I've put generally I've been able to put the work in up front and then just kind of maintain it. And I don't know, like it, it almost feels like cheating the system a little bit because you're not doing a huge buildup twice for a hundred. Um, but I also feel like, you know, there's, you have to really respect your body because after something like a hundred miles, it, you, you might need, you know, a month off of real training. And I think that's okay. And some people I've seen, like, especially when I was first starting the running, I would follow other runners who's like, yeah, okay, take one, 10 mile, one day off for every 10 miles. So after a hundred mile, people will take 10 days off or some people will take two weeks off. And I've found myself sometimes needing like, I need like a month without training. Like I'll go for a few jogs, but maybe I'm like not going to be doing any actual speed work or anything for a month or more after. And I think that that's, that's okay. Oh man, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, some, like I, so many things that I, that I love about this, <laughs> of what you just said. I mean, first of all, a, a lot of the things that I do, um, it's the same as like adventures. They really like something that like maybe more fuels my soul. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's so individual for people with recovery and I, and I don't think it's a bad thing for people. It's like, if you know that you like the long distance stuff, like sure, you can do multiple things in a year. It's just kind of like, figuring out what works what works best for you from a recovery standpoint and i actually think that that's super smart um like and maybe it maybe it is cheating the system but um i mean detraining happens like way way slower than you think it does <laughs> so uh-huh. it's like you have to take a long time off of like doing zero activity before you even start to lose fitness like when i was injured I like I was like reading these articles and like freaking out and I think it takes like something like 21 days of like literally doing zero activity before you start to lose lose like lose your lose fitness and I'm just yeah. like oh I'm I <laughs> I would believe that and also like I think you you're um you have a really interesting perspective on this just coming back from injury because it's like no after you take 
any length of time off, whether it's a week or a year, I think it always is going to be like your gears are a little bit sticky getting back, but you just got to like step back and and realize like, okay, like you just got to give your body a minute to figure out what's going on. And maybe, maybe that takes longer than other times, but I think just like trusting the process can be, can be helpful. Yeah. And so kind of like to not really switch gears, but this is something that it's, I'm, I'm really happy that I have someone else. Like, I feel like we're, we've got pretty similar starts into the sport. Like I also started running when I was in graduate school, like squeezing in those long runs on the weekends. Like a lot of my training were like long adventure runs. Um, but like when I did that first race and like kind of started getting into the whole like culture and scene of ultra running and racing, it was something that just like drew me to the sport and like drew me in and just kind of got me hooked. Um, like how, what did you feel when like that kept like drawing you back? Was it a sense of community? Um, the fact of like working hard for something, like what was it that made you kind of stick around and keep racing and training and, and being an ultra runner? Yeah, I think, I think it's a few things. Like on one hand, it definitely was the community. I think the community is what kept me signing up for races and going back because I met a few people at the first trail race that I did that then planted the seed for a bunch of other races in the area. So I just kind of started signing up for some of these local races. And it seemed like every race I went to, I saw another familiar face and I would meet 10 more people. And there's just this kind of like really low key community, um, come hang out with us vibe in the trail scene that I really loved. And I, I'd been running road marathons for a few years before this, and I had never really experienced that before. And so I just, I didn't think that that kind of community aspect was really a part of running because I had never experienced it. Um, and I Mm -hmm. think like, so signing up for the races that definitely, I think is a big part of it. Um, but another thing is just like, and I'm sure you can appreciate this too, if a lot of your, you know, runs and stuff are just big adventures and things is that I, I was really like excited to start using running and my fitness to do bigger things in the mountains. And so it almost was like training and signing up for races was almost, especially at the beginning, like a way to hold myself accountable for actually doing the training, which usually was like something that was actually not really training, but instead like, oh yeah, like let's go do this 30 mile route. We've always wanted to go backpack, but instead we'll just run it and call it a training run. Um, so I think like <laughs> that I, it, it's just like, that's, that's really, I think even what keeps me in it now, um, you know, despite that I've been doing more racing and stuff too, it's just like, it's so incredible what your body can do for you. Um, when you, you know, when you respect it and give it the, the training and the time and the recovery and stuff that it needs. And it's, it's pretty cool to be able to go to see where your own two feet can take you. And races are definitely a way to do that. But I think that, you know, especially those of us who have access to to mountains or, um, I mean, even if you don't just want to go take a trip and go do something, there's so many amazing places to see. And when your body can suddenly be okay with moving for 12 hours or more, um, Mm. you know, it just really opens up opportunities for different kinds of, um, adventures in the mountains. Yeah. Oh man, I can, I can relate. That's exactly like, it was, it's like my favorite thing just to, to like, I I view it as playtime. It's like Mm -hmm. playtime in the mountains, these routes they want to do. And then it like doubles as, okay, then 
I think I'm going to be in pretty good shape for this race now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like doubles is like training. But um, speaking about, so, you know, being, having, like celebrating what your body can do, that it can be strong enough to do these like huge efforts in the mountains, you know, take take you to these amazing places and these like depths, you know, and um, like in these lows and bring you out of, into these extreme highs and races. Um, obviously when you got into running, you're, pretty good at it, ultra running. Um, and this is a conversation that I've really wanted to have with another female athlete is what, how was your road to be a sponsored athlete? Did you feel like it was maybe a little bit riddled? Um, I recently wrote an article not too long ago. It was women's history month, not too long ago, but, um, uh, and people can look this up. It was for runner's world, um, kind of highlighting, I think the, the title is that Hillary Allen wants more women to get into running and outdoor sports. And it was kind of a call to action for people like to bringing up the topic about women in outdoor sports and, and what that looks like. And I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, we've been in the sport of ultra running for the same amount of time. Um, how has your path to sponsorship um, been, I don't know, influenced by, by your gender, if at all? Oh, wow. This is like a good topic. Um, I, yeah, I don't, you know, I, there's a lot of things that are coming to my mind. So maybe we can just like chat about some of this stuff a little bit. But um, my road to getting an initial sponsorship, I think, was ultimately, I don't know, it's, it's really hard. And it was filled with a lot of um, self doubt and lack of understanding what my value was, but also not really knowing how to advocate for myself in that way, because I didn't personally really know any sponsored female athletes. Um, And, you know, there's just such a black box about what sponsorship even means, and no one really is talking about it or is able to talk about it. Um, And so I definitely like, I think this is like maybe brings up a whole other topic we can get into a little bit later, but I think it was really hard for me, especially as I was starting to do really well locally, but also starting to travel and do some bigger races and do well there that I just, it was hard seeing maybe myself like get these really killer performances and put up times that I thought were really good that I was really proud of but then not really get any recognition from that, from, for, from the sport um, or mm-hmm. from brands. And especially I think that was really hard when I would see other young, young athletes like myself uh, or relatively new athletes kind of break out into the sport and then get, re- get into the limelight really quickly. Um, and yeah. I think like, you know, that's something that I definitely struggled with. And I think, you know, it's easy to be jealous. And I think that was part of it. But I think it also is just like, not really understanding what the rules of the sport are. And maybe, maybe those rules not really being fair and even um, in the first place is part of that problem. But, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely, (laughs) definitely hard. Um, And I, so I, I did actually end up, um, where I was working with La Sportiva for, um, I think two years and that was great. I really enjoyed working with them. Um, they were awesome, but you know, even getting, getting to that, I, I had to advocate for myself a lot. Um, and I think that's something that is never easy to do, whether you're asking for a sponsorship or for a promotion at your job 
or for even just like recognition for work that you're doing. Like, I think a lot of us probably have lots of stories about how we struggle with that. So I don't know. It, yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, I was going to add something like, no, I mean, I think it's the same for, for me as well. Like advocating for yourself, it's like a good message, right? And maybe some people, regardless of gender, are, are able to do that more than others. But I also think like a big, something that I struggled with is like, I'm a very logical person, like a black and white. And, you know, this is my downfall sometimes, but um, like for a science, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a right or wrong answer, like a yes or a no. Like I've eliminated the variables and like I'm going to get a clear answer at the end of my experiment. That's yeah. what I also like about running. Like you're running the same course um, and, and really you're running against the clock. Like you're running against other people, but like literally it's pretty cut and dry who wins, who loses, who has a good time, who doesn't. And so to me, running is the absolute, like it, it, it tells you, like if you, if you win or lose, it's pretty clear cut. And so to, to, to do well in early races, like yourself, right. Early in your career and, and even now and not get the recognition, um, it's, it's a bit confusing because then, you know, if someone else of, you know, maybe um, a different gender, like a, a, a like a, a young gun on the scene of like a, a fast, um, you know, guy running a fast race in a fast time, he'll immediately get like sponsored and picked up. Um, and then, you know, where I feel like that wasn't the same for, you know, women that I've seen in the sport, like put laying down really, really, really consistent times, like time in and time out for races and, Yes, to me, that's something that I, I, it doesn't make sense all the time. Yeah, and I think when when that's kind of your introduction to it, it makes it really intimidating. And it makes, I think it took a really long time for me to realize, to recognize that I was worthy of a sponsorship. And even, mm-hmm. even beyond that, like it's still, like I'm still learning now, like, you know, that I, I can ask for those things and I should be asking for those things. And that, um, I think it's just like, you know, the more we can talk about this is good. It's really honestly like surprising to me to hear that, like you also had the same kind of a struggle because I, I've seen you as someone who is just like dominant in the sport and you've, you've got, I feel, I feel like you've, you've really like, you've gotten enough attention where like when I was first starting in the sport, I was like, Oh, who's this Hillary Allen chick? She looks awesome. Right. Um, so I think like, you know, even without knowing it, like you, you're having an influence on the rest of us with this, but it's just interesting for me to hear that, like you who have, you know, been like just such a stronghold in the sport for a while, you know, that, that you, you also kind of had these kinds of struggles with, with sponsorship and figuring out what to, what, what kind of sponsorship you're even worthy of or, or what you should be asking for. Like, can you even like be an athlete? Can you call yourself a professional athlete? What do you need to do to do that? Like, yeah. And, oh man, it's been, it's been such a struggle too, because, you know, and then I, like, and I'm not saying obviously like I worked from North Face from the very beginning. And this was also like kind of an internal struggle too, not, not with my main sponsor North Face, but just like in, in the world of sports in general, I feel like, it's also hard, like with a big brand like North Face, to be compared to, you know, like climbers and skiers and alpinists and all of this other stuff. So it's like, okay, like where does running and ultra running come into it? Because it's a, it's a relatively new sport in, um, you know, in North America at least. Um, but yeah, I definitely struggle with this stuff. And maybe it was like internal and like, you know, I had. 
when I started running, it was in graduate school and I literally walked away from my PhD. I I graduated with a master's because I like saw this opportunity of like, okay, I want to take a chance on this. And like, but I mean, I was living out of like, that's crazy. That's so awesome. Like I was like, uh, I don't have a place to live. I literally put my stuff in storage and like moved to Europe. So I actually afford to like live and race in Europe because like I wasn't getting paid because I wasn't asking for that sponsorship. I wasn't like, I didn't, I thought that like being a trail runner, you're kind of like, are this like vagabond, like dirt bagger, like, like, Uh you know, it took while also to to figure out and to like ask for okay like my my value as a you know as a woman winning these races or podium in in these races like that's a story like that's just as important as a guy winning the race like i think it's it's sometimes hard because um you know like maybe uh i mean even if i've won a race i don't I haven't won a race out outright. The closest I've ever come was third place. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, but what, what race was that? That was the big, actually, that was my first 50 mile race. It was the wow. big horn. 50. <laughs> and um, the funny, funny story was that actually my, my coach now, Adam St. Pierre, I was like, in my, in my recollection of the race, I was like 30 seconds behind him, but I guess I was, I was a couple minutes behind him. But like, um, yeah, I finished, I finished third overall in that race. Oh, that's um, awesome. A couple of minutes I, in a 50 mile race is basically a couple of seconds. Like, I think we can just agree that you were very freaking close. <laughs> that's what I think too. But so, I mean, there is the, the issue too, is like, I was thinking it's like, oh, okay, like, um you know, we're not winning these races outright, but you know, like, I mean, look at Courtney DeWalter now, like we've got these like women who are, who are racing and, and, and placing regularly in the top 10. Like I've finished in the top 10 in certain races. Um, but there's always that thing. It's like, well, okay. For sponsorship attention, like you're not, you're, you're finishing kind of in the middle of the men's pack. So mm-hmm. there's this argument there, but I don't, I mean, so maybe it took me a while to like get confidence to be like, okay, well, no, like this is actually, this is actually like important. Yeah. Um, I know like for myself and I'm not sure if maybe you had a similar thing for a while since you were also in grad school, but I found myself a lot like rationalizing the level of support I was asking for given that I also had another career and I would kind of yep. tell myself like, look, like sure, I'm not really getting all that much, or I feel like maybe I could be getting more, but at the same time, like, I don't really have the time to write a ton of blog posts. I don't really want to spend a ton of time on social media. Like I have another job. This is my main thing and I'm running, you know, running for fun. But I think like, I didn't realize really until recently that like, no, like, you know, even if I don't need, need that per se, like I still deserve it and I should be willing to ask for it. It doesn't matter what else I'm doing with my time. You know, I, you know, I think like recognizing that you're worthy of asking for things is, a, I mean, it just takes a while to do that, especially I think when you have, you know, another, another thing, like another aspect of your career that you're also really passionate about that seems like, oh, well, it, it's just easy, I think, to like build, diminish your own um, value in another aspect of your life when you have something else that you're p- putting on more of a pedestal at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I also think it's like, you know, like justifying these things away regardless. Like it's we're we're in the midst of kind of this this idea of like, okay, well, there's this movement happening where 
the well, women or like groups of women are kind of demanding more equal treatment at races. Like, I mean, it wasn't even that long ago when even when I was racing in Europe, it was back in 2018. That's only two years ago where there were certain races that actually weren't even like offering prize money for the top 10 women, or they'd only recognize the top five. Um, or, you know, even in like when, when the women's competitive field, they had just as many of, as elites and, and uh, competing. And, um, I think like if, if that's already kind of a uh, part of the culture that you're coming into, it's then hard to ask for, um, you know, compensation from a sponsor or, you know, to, to feel that you're even like, you know, deserving of it. So it's like, yeah. it's kind of a catch too. Like there is this huge welcoming community. I mean, it's what brought you into the sport. It's what brought me into the sport and has kept me here. But it's also this idea of like, okay, well, if we want to take this, it's kind of like a professional level. Like we're all training our butts off. Like, you know, relatively speaking, I'm training just as much as like a guy running this hundred mile race. Like, so, you know, why isn't, why, why isn't my time Mm -hmm. compensated Mm -hmm. as, uh, as that? And yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny. I mean, this isn't by any means trying to be like a, a rant or like a exclude, like excluding men or saying that like, you know, people are doing things wrong. It's just, I mean, and things are changing, right? Races are changing their, their, um, you know, their policies They're I think they're opening their eyes and like, you know, they're, they're hearing the side of things. It's like, okay, like this makes sense. So we're going to change it. Um, but I also think it's like we need to continue these conversations because it's not it's not perfect yet, and mm-hmm. it's it's also just like okay, well, there's there's like there have been clear like clear discrepancies and like clear differences. Um, yeah, yeah, and think I mean things take a while to change, and even if they are like changing up front, and you, know, you talked to Gina Lucrezzi about this recently on your one of your other episodes with um, kind of Trail mm-hmm. Sisters and their. Um, guidelines for races, which I think is awesome. It still takes yeah. a while. So if you think of it, like you and I first ran a trail trail race five years ago, and mm-hmm. we're now only really like this is like probably one of the first conversations I've really had openly about some of these issues and like my own struggles of recognizing sponsorship value and stuff coming into the sport. And I, I think like what I've been noticing that I think is still happening a lot is that we're not as good at giving recognition to podium females at Mm -hmm. local races. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's a problem because everyone starts somewhere and everyone starts local. And I think of myself when I was, um, you know, hitting the podium and winning some local races, but I always still felt kind of like whether this was external or internal and probably a lot of it was internal. I was definitely like diminishing my own accomplishments at those races because I would be like 30 minutes behind the men or however far yeah. behind the men. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, also at a lot of these races, like you're as a, as a woman, whether you're winning or third or fifth or whatever, you're generally coming into the finish line amidst other men who are running. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's awesome to go and race the men. Like we should definitely be doing that, but also like, that, you know, it, there is a woman's race going on too. And so I think like, I definitely would feel sometimes coming across the finish line and there'd be a ton of people there watching because there's other race distances and stuff coming on. And I would come through and people would have no idea that I just won the race. And like, you know, that's okay. I'm not doing it for, for the external recognition from everyone there, but at the same time, how can we start to really appreciate and value our own accomplishments in a way that's worthy of like, you know, 
putting ourselves out there to, to ask for more media attention or sponsorship recognition or support from races or any of these other things? Like, how can we start doing that if we can't even really do that at a local level? And I think I'm, mm-hmm. I'm worried because I've, I've seen some, you know, just in the Northwest, we've got some real crushers out here. And a lot of people, like women who are just like really crushing the local racing scene. Um, and I, I just see like, there's a gap of like, how, how are they going to move beyond that? Because we, we need some, but like, I think like, unless we actually do something, like people don't really realize like, Hey, like you are dominating these races. Like you should really consider like, you know, traveling to a race or doing some of these other things or something. But I think like, even like if we can't really have that celebration at somebody's finish line or, or podium, um, then that makes that a whole lot harder because you don't even really realize that, Hey, this is a big deal. I'm doing something awesome here. Yeah. I mean, you nailed, you nailed it right on the head. And I'm just like, it's the same thing is like, I think about my, my, um, you know, entry into the sport. And I was, I was lucky. I had, I had a, a strong woman role model. Um, I mean, first, first of all, I was like, I was raised in a family where, you know, like I have an older sister and like her and I like completely different things, but like, you know, I was told by both my mom and my dad that like, okay, it's, it's not an issue if you're a girl and you like to play in the dirt and like, you know, get dirty and not play with dolls or whatever, every stereotypical thing you can think of for like a girl versus a boy. Like, I was super quote unquote tomboy. And I mean, I, I hate that word, but still, um, <clears throat> that's how I was raised. So I think like someone like me coming into a sport and then like choosing to p- pursue a career in sport is, you know, maybe not, maybe not as far fetched. And I also had a strong female role model who was a professional athlete and she was like leading the way telling me it was possible to have. And she also had another career, but she was also a sponsored runner. So I mean, I think about that too for the next generation and like also just people currently because yeah, in Colorado, there's so many crushers and it's like, mm-hmm. and then also here in Europe, like you meet these like literally this like this old French woman who's like, you know, hiking 10 miles a day with a thousand meters of elevation gain just to get her eggs in the morning. Like what? <laughs> it's like ridiculous. But you know, how, how then can you make the jump from, okay, like, you're you're crushing it at this level, but like this can actually like go into more opportunities for someone. It's like, I mean, I love traveling and 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 racing and and meeting new people and also like you know challenging myself in these new ways. But like I I want that for more people like to experience the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think you're right. It's like it's an issue of and in the episode with Gina for Trail Sisters like you know, um, she, she has some sort of standards for like trail sister approve for like certain races, how, you know, the women's field and women in general can feel more kind of like a part of things in a race. But I also think that there's, there's, there's more things that, that, that are important for, for our community to kind of, to do and to embrace. And, and like, I mean, you, you made such a great point. I mean, I'll mention two things like TDS last year. Um, so I was racing head to head with Audrey Ten- Tenge and she's, uh, we were literally in a, in a 145 kilometer race. We finished 10 minutes apart mm-hmm. and that's, like, that's nothing. And so, so, so UTMB, the, the live coverage, it was awesome. They had like a designated film crew for the women's race and for the men's race. 
But during and this this women's race for the first half, maybe more, there was like three of us that were just like battling back and forth, like we're within two minutes of each other. And it wasn't until like the, like you know the the last half of the race and then the last you know little bit that you know, there was some separation. But when I entered the streets of Chamonix, it was empty. Like mm. there there were no there was no one there, and that was like from you know basically the design of the course itself. Like because we started at four in the morning, so that four in the morning start time accommodated for when the men would be finishing, and that was like prime time in Chamonix. Um, but when the women were finishing, which was a couple hours later, like people were already to bed, and yeah. so like, that's one way to change it. Um, but then the other thing I wanted to mention is is I mean your experience with Western states. Like you finished second. What year was that? Uh, two years ago. 20, yeah, and uh, then twenty eighteen. And then last year, twenty eighteen. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, I don't know. We're gonna <laughs> whatever it is. Some time ago. <laughs> but then, and then last year you had like this sprint finish, like at the oh, end God. of the. <laughs> But again, like there's these races that are happening, but literally for the title of Western States, anything you'd look up, like any articles that were, you know, mentioned about this were about, obviously the, the, the men's race was great. Um, you know, Jim Wamsley setting the course record, but like, that's all you read about it. You don't read about the other, the other like headlines and like the battles that were actually happening out there on the women's field. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the race finish, um, my my experiences in in finishing a lot of races echo kind of what you said about like TDS of coming in and basically the crowds have cleared like there's no one and and like even at big races a lot of times that that's the case because of these races of of the timing usually I think it's the starting starting time yeah. where uh, the women finishers are usually coming in after everyone's left and you know like I for a long time, I kind of like laughed about it. I'm like, I don't know. It's just such an, like, people are like, what is it like winning a hundred mile race? I'm like, you know, it's really anticlimactic. Like you finish and there's literally nothing there. Like your, your super groggy crew who's been up all night is there. And like, you know, that's in the race director and like, that's it. There's nothing else. And I know like, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, that isn't necessarily a female experience. Um, you know, there's lots of, you know, whatever, lots of different race finished experiences. But like, I've had that experience so many times. And I think like, I usually think it's fine. But you know, I think this conversation too is helping me realize like, it's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. Because like, we know that it, it could very easily be different. And like, maybe they don't need to change the starting time of races. But doing a better job projecting like when they expect the first male and female finishers to come in and highlighting more um, about both aspects of the, the male and female race. And also highlighting, I think, cases where women are racing the men. Like, I think there are a lot of really good stories there that could be highlighted and that, you know, are sometimes missed out. And it shouldn't necessarily, especially at a really big stage race, it shouldn't feel anticlimactic to come in on the podium. Yeah, I agree. And like, Oh man, I've and I've I've had this experience like multiple times too. You're you're right. Like from a crew standpoint of like finishing a hundred mile race, it's like it is kind of like uh, like it's super anticlimactic. But you're right. Like there's been multiple races where I've come through and like literally they've been like rushing to put the finishing line tape up, and I'm like, come on, guys, like you know, <laughs> yeah. And even in that, like I said, it's not it's not to say that it's um you know that that 
oh, we're just like sitting here complaining and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like this, we're, we are super fortunate, obviously, to get these opportunities to race and do these tough races. And even with like kind of the sour experiences um, at a race like TDS or, um, you know, even in Western states and things like this, like races are trying to correct it, right? Um, so like, like I said, TDS, like they had a designated men's and women's um like camera film that like camera crew that was like following around the leaders. So, and they were live streaming it. So like my parents got to watch the action unfold, which is like insane. Cause like, you know, it made ultra running interesting, but, um, I think that this can be taken and applied to even like the local races because, when people first, like, how cool would it have been, like, in, you know, like, in your first 50K experience where, like, you know, your race result was, like, just to celebrate it as, you know, the guy that won it. Like, mm-hmm. there are certain races that do this super well. Um, but I think, again, like, to to con- to have the sport continue to grow for participation to increase on both the men and women's side, like, that's a really cool way to – you know, to get more people in it and, and like become invested in ultra running because I mean, you work really hard to get to the start line and you fight for every mile sometimes to get to the finish. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, we're in this other, like, it's so cool to like talk about this stuff with someone else who's kind of like experienced the same thing. Um, but I mean, we're also in this, like, we're kind of in the middle of this movement of like women supporting women. Um, and I love, I love to see it. It's like with trail, trail sisters and also just like, I'm super happy to be a part of the team, like North face, like where they have, you know, this idea of like basically highlighting the strong women that they have on their team in hopes of, you know, showcasing them to, you know, basically show the next generation of girls. It's like they have a mentor to look up to and be like, okay, she can do it. She looks like me. She does stuff that I like to do. Like I can be like her. Um, so I think like that's a start. Um, I mean, I want to mention, you know, basically one, the other race that you got to run this year. Um, and they had a hashtag for that race. It was called the future is female. Um, and why was this like, what kind of the, did they do to, that was different from other years and other races that, that yeah. you've seen before? Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to mention this, that, um, so at Transgrand Canaria last month, they had a, basically at the start of the race. So they well, let me back up. As you said, their hashtag, um, kind of theme for the year was trail is female. And there are a bunch of uh, kind of little things that they did throughout, you know, the pre-race briefing um, in terms of bringing more elite women into the field. So they had a really, really strong women's field. Uh, They changed the logo of the race, which is normally kind of a silhouette of a guy with his arms up and they added a ponytail and made it a woman. And like, you know, so like that, that little, little gestures like that, I think are really awesome. Um, But one of the biggest moves that they did, which was super powerful, which was at the beginning, um, everyone's kind of standing in the the starting corrals and there's music and lights and we're on the beach and there's kind of a lot of commotion, but there's a lot of media and press there. Like basically the entire um, start area is just like packed with media. And generally, uh, as with most races, like it's it's the men who are standing up at the front who are in all of those starting photos. And even just like mm-hmm. kind of the chit chat and the banter um, between competitors and racers, um, a lot of those photos and candid photos and stuff usually come from the men because that's who you can see because everyone else is kind of packed in there. And so uh, before the race started, they made an announcement to 
bring all of the lead, the females to the front um, for a photo. And so we all kind of like, we're like, okay, okay. So we all kind of like work our way to the front. The men step back because they announced for the men to step back and all the women, elite women to come to the front. So we took photos and um, that, that was really cool because actually like even just standing there and getting a photo with all of us women there and looking around and seeing the rest of the women's field was really empowering and really cool to be like, okay, we have, we have our little bit of our moment here. And just naturally, after the photo was taken, everyone just kind of starts to step back and disappear into the crowd because that's what that's what we do. And they they stop and like, no, 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 women stay on the front. And I actually like every, like people were like noticeably like a little bit uncomfortable about that. Like, really? What? We're in the front? But yeah, but like we've got Pau Capel and Dylan Bowman and Pablo Villa. They're behind us. They're going to trample us. Right. And you know, no, they're actually, they're not going to trample you though. You'll be fine. But it was, it was a little bit of like this kind of weird moment of like, okay, we're actually standing at the front. Okay. I guess we're starting at the front. And I cannot tell you like how amazing that feeling was when the race started and it was just like the open beach with I mean, I don't know, like hundreds, probably don't know if there was hundreds, but let's say it seemed like hundreds, hundreds of people with cameras just lining the initial, you know, kind of takeoff mm -hmm. spot of the race. And I've never had that feeling before of starting at a big race and just seeing an open space ahead of me. Um, yeah. And that's something that like was, it seems like such a minor detail, but like there was so much energy that I was feeling from having that experience. Like I, I like I almost was like crying because I'm like, it was, like tears of happiness. I'm like, but also kind of sad because like, I can't believe that I never even knew what this feeling was like. Like I didn't even know I was missing this. And so that kind of energy that, you know, the men who end up on the podium are feeling as they're starting the race. Like, meanwhile, I'm in the back, you know, trying not to trip over people. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. of course, like literally everyone else who's running the race is having that same experience. So I think it's really easy to put yourself into that category. Like, okay, yeah, well, all of us are experiencing this together. But, you know, yeah. there are that, you know, that group of people at the front who aren't, aren't experiencing that. And I think that that is a, that was just a really powerful, like, cool moment just to have that kind of energy. And I really hope that I get to have that experience again. Um, and, you know, it might be easy for someone to say, well, just just make it happen. Just go stand in the front. And I don't think it's that easy. And I don't know if, if you've done that before, tried to make your way to the, the front of, a, <laughs> a, front of a, a race before. But I've definitely heard of other elite women who have tried to do that and, you know, end up kind of getting their way elbowed back. And then they end up... <laughs> trying to purposely beat the people who, who were too mad at them. Um, but I don't, I mean, have you ever had that kind of experience of like standing in the front of a big race like that? So like a, the smaller local races, but never, like never at a, um, I mean, like actually with TDS, I think I was kind of on the front line because they kind of did the same thing. Like mm -hmm. everyone was kind of there, but I think I was like not absolutely first. I was like in the second because you know in, in Euro races they always like start super fast. So I was like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to. Get old. But they, I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember like ex exactly experiencing what you were saying of like you know like taking a step back. Like even it, like sometimes even when I look across the start the starting shoot, like you know they have like the the elite corral and then like when they separate the two, like there's all these like people that are coming up to the start and like like these, these men that are like pushing their way past me. And I'm like looking at them, I'm just like, okay, but like, dude, 
I can, you know, like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to beat you at the end of this. Yep. Like, why are you trying to, like, why are you trying to like, you know, go, go ahead of me now? Um, but no, I mean, I can, Im- I, I can imagine because it's like, sometimes it's scary. Like at a race, like Transvolcania, I remember it's like, you have to kind of race to this like single track trail and it's uh-huh. like complete maintenance. And, you know, you have to worry about tripping. I know like one year, like Emily Forsberg, she like, like fell in the beginning 500 meters and like cut her hand really bad and ended up having to like come out of the race. And, uh, for that reason. And yeah, I mean, it would be, it would be an amazing feeling to have like at a, at a huge race like that. Um, and I was like super, I was so happy, um, to, to see that. And I think, you know, it's, it's a long race, like a lot can happen, but I think like, and maybe people were criticizing the race's decision to do that. So like, well, you know, like obviously like, you know, the men, the men beat the women at like ultimately at the end, um, you beat a lot of them mm-hmm. winning that race. Um, but still, I think it's more of the symbolism and like what it represents to be like, okay, like, yeah, like this field is here too. Like they're competing, like they're just as important, um, to highlight as, as the men. Mm -hmm. And I've I've also had like so many experiences of, you know, in like even like finishing a race or like, you know, race photos. It's like where I'm never alone, you know, like there's like someone with me and I'm like, who is this guy? Get out of my Get out of the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's like all of my finished photos. <laughs> there was even a finished photo when I was uh the well, what was this two two years ago? I think the Trail World Championships, which was in Spain. I ran and I I think I finished tenth. I was so excited, but there was uh, there was someone proposing on the finish line as I was coming through. <laughs> it's like. I almost ran into him because you there's like a like you have to run up and then down because that was like where they get the good photos I guess I don't say had like the finish line actually elevated and so I like can't come over sprinting just like wrecked and so stoked that I had this big finish and I like almost ran into people that were getting engaged and like that was lovely but also like I think my mom was more upset about me than that because she was watching on the live stream be like get out of the way but you know. Oh, that's so fun. Um, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, but like uh, the 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 starting line thing, I think like I, knowing now what that experience is like, I'm going to really try to hold myself accountable to like pushing my way towards the front more. And even if it makes me uncomfortable to do that, I'm going to try to do it. And I'm also going to try to bring other women with me because I think yeah. like I, you know, I would be unlike if I hadn't had this experience, I would be unlikely to do that by myself. But if someone else, or like if I was with you on the starting line, you're like, Caitlin, get up here, let's go to the front. I'd be like, okay, I guess we're doing it. Um, <laughs> you know, so I would, I would try to do that. And and I think like you you mentioned the this thing of kind of like women supporting women, and I think that that is really important. But I I think like another, I don't know, maybe dark side of that is that. I don't think like, I think like we're in this movement of people like women asking for more and women, women really trying to highlight and help support other women to help other women get the recognition that they deserve. But I think like another equal part of that, which is really hard to talk about sometimes is like, how do you as a woman who is really trying to get more recognition for yourself and your own performances, how do you balance those own asks and your own self-worth with also supporting your competitors and pushing your competitors forward, especially in a space when we're talking about like sponsorship or like 
race recognition or um, money to travel to races and stuff that like we know that there's limited access to. And there's also like, you know, you're competing with these women, but at the same time, you want to be able to support them. And I think like, I, you know, I, I think like it's really important to support your competitors during races and, and before races and after, like, of course, like that's, I think a lot of us do that really well, but I also think like there's just this like tricky side of, of balancing your own emotions and I guess maybe jealousy too about how, how do you handle those kinds of tricky moments, especially as you're like trying to maybe enter the sport or enter the support sport in a more serious way. And other people are getting, coverage for for their race and you're not you know like I think that's just really tricky and I I don't think a lot of us are talking about that but I I know that myself especially when I was getting started in the sport and you kind of asked about this with like how was it getting sponsorship um and that was something I really struggled with and I don't know like I don't really know what the answer is for it because I think there's some people that are just able like I, I have some friends like this who are just so able to open up and be wholly supportive of everyone and just promote people all the time, um, kind mm-hmm. of like, and put themselves to the sideline. And I think that that's mm-hmm. great, but I don't, I don't think everyone is capable of, of doing that maybe in the same wholehearted sense, because I know personally, like I also am trying not to put myself on the sideline because I've done that for so long. And so I'm trying now yeah. to find a way to like, how do I, you know, how, how do we as women support each other while also dealing with knowing that, okay, sometimes supporting someone else means you're not getting that, you know, that sponsorship or you're not getting that um, race money or something. Yeah. And that's, it's really tough is because, yeah, I think we're all almost competing for, you know, even when we're talking about sponsorships, it's, it's limited spots, especially when compared to the number of sponsored male runners that are out there. So for sure. I mean, I've experienced this many times about that, that definitely that darker side of, of sponsorship and, um, you know, of, of wanting to support other and be a good role model and support other women, but then also feeling at the same time, like, ah, but I don't want to jeopardize my, um, my position or anything like this. Um, but, and it is, it's a hard balance to strike. And I agree with you. There are some people who can do it super well. And I mean, I think of like people in the running community, like Emma Coburn, like, you know, her and all the like boss ladies that she trains with. Um, but I'm, you know, like they're, 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 you know, building each other up. And I think honestly, when I think about it, um, like I, you know, I, I love it on the start line, how I can like hug my competitors and like support them. But then like during a race, like you want to kick each other's asses. Like mm-hmm. you want to do that you can. Um, but, and I think it's that delicate balance, just like, you know, how the boys do it. But it's like, you know, don't hold grudges. It's like, you know, you won one bad performance or one great performance, like doesn't define you. But I think it's like, we can get sucked into the circle of like, only concerned about ourselves. And that in in fact is not what is going to make the sport better as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, my coach actually, he says this, he says this to me, especially for like, you know, training with other strong training partners. Like, um, so I, you know, in, in Boulder, Colorado, um, you know, a lot of my training partners have been men over the years. Um, but like in Boulder, there's all these strong women. And, and, and so my, my coach was like, yeah, steel, sharp and steel hill. Like you're racing (laughs) against these ladies go train with them too. And I think it's, it, it, it can be like this really, this really cool thing. And that's kind of what I've, what I've kind of settled on is a way for, to like women supporting other women, um, is like to check myself, like, okay, like maybe some days I can feel a little bit like, 
hurt or like meh, like mad if like, you know, I'm feeling like I'm not getting recognized, but it's also just like, okay, like also understand that building someone else up and celebrating their accomplishments does not take away from your own. And in fact, it's bettering the community as a whole. Yeah, and- absolutely. Totally, totally agree that like the more that we can, you know, support and highlight each other's accomplishments, the more it builds women's running up in general. And like, that's good for all of us for what we're all trying to to accomplish. And this is like, this is a goal of mine that I have is like coming up with these like cool expeditions or just projects in general, whether they're like training for a race or just an adventure in general, but to have a strong woman partner with me. And I think to, to end, because, you know, I could, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. (laughs) I wanted to, to ask you about, um, this project that you did, it was called the infinity loop and, um, you did it with a female partner. And, um, yeah, I think that that was like, not only was it just such a badass loop in general, like there are hardly any, just only female groups kind of doing big adventures in the mountains. And I think this is a, this is something to kind of like that everyone I think can like kind of, you know, like relate to. And like, if they're looking for ways to change and like move forward, like this is the way to do it. Like get out there and like pick another badass lady to to get out there with you. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So this, um, the infinity loop. So just because most people probably don't know what it is. It's, um, a route in Washington state that goes around Mount Rainier. So a lot of runners have probably heard of the Wonderland Trail, which is a pretty popular FKT route. And that's a 93-ish mile um, route that circumnavigates Mount Rainier, which is the highest point in Washington. It's a huge volcano. And uh, so the route itself goes all the way around Mount Rainier and also includes two summits up and over of of the volcano which is pretty technical terrain um it's all glaciated and so you're bringing up um ropes and mountaineering gear for that um and kind of navigating through crevasses and stuff so it ends up totaling to be about 140 150 miles and oh boy something like 40,000 feet of elevation gain um so it's it's a pretty gnarly route and it, it involves obviously like running the trail itself. So it's like a hundred miles of running plus then these two technical mountaineering summits and descents. And so, um, first of all, like the, the I've, I've been mountaineering actually for longer than I've been trail running. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm a super hardcore mountaineer by any means, but I definitely really love it. And that's kind of been something that like, I really wanted to, I've been wanting to dive more into. Um, and in the past years, I've tended to focus a lot of my spring, which would normally be a lot of mountaineering time into training for races. And so um, anyway, this is something I really want to kind of focus more time on personally, but I've only ever gone up on mountaineering trips with men before. And this started with um, a lot of uh, groups of friends and they're awesome guys and I love them and they're really supportive of me and, you know, help, help make me feel, have helped make me feel like a really integrated member of the team. Um, and also then as I got more experience and my husband and I started doing more things together, we actually have done 
I'd say like most of the routes that we've done in the last few years have just been the two of us. And so then it's just kind of like a, a teamwork of our, our little duo. Um, so this was really the first time that I have done any real technical stuff with another female. And I, I just like feel like there's something so it was so like eye opening to go through this whole experience with my friend Alex. And I think a lot of things, a lot of reasons why, like, you know, I think until you're put in a position where you are suddenly forced to really like look at your faults and your dependencies, you maybe don't really know that they're there. And I found that this was kind of true for myself of going through all this stuff with Alex. Like, I think naturally I just default to asking for um, a second opinion from my husband a lot about like, Hey, what, what kind of, what do you think I should bring? What rope should we bring? What should we do for this? Um, and even though I know the answer, I know I can make that decision myself. I tend to just like look for approval and that is no fault on him. I think it's just something that like, I just, I just do. And I think maybe a lot of yeah. us do. And even with like kind of decision-making, like I've, I've led a lot of our trips up um up mountains and stuff but i think also just having that kind of support that you know is there um you know doing it with alex like we we went through the entire preparation planning logistics um we did this as a self-supported thing with um gear drops and things and like her, her husband i think was out of town on a work trip that time and the week before um, I did, we did the trip. My my husband Ellie was super busy with work, and so he just wasn't really home that much during that week. So really, like mm-hmm. all of it was just the two of us coming up with. And like I think it was such a powerful experience to go through that and realize like I can do this, and also like I'm we are like capable of of leading these things and supporting each other and pushing each other in in different ways that I think is not really possible, and like pushing each other on on the decision-making and um, I don't know, like it was, it was, it was really, really cool. And I'm, I think like through that, like I definitely grew a lot as a person and, and also came out of it with this really amazing friendship with a friend who I was close with before. But I think now it's like, we almost, it seems like we almost became sisters on this trip and we spent so much time with somebody um, and you're really making pretty serious decisions. So I, I think like that was a really cool um, experience. And like, also while we were out up on, on Mount Rainier, I think we saw like barely any women and every time, which is not abnormal. Like when I've gone up there before, you know, I might see like three other women and like 50 other men or how, you know, it depends if you're on the weekend or not. But every time we saw another woman, we, we, you know, we gave them a high five and we're just like, you're awesome. Um, And I think like, a lot of people were pretty shocked. Um, not not so much on the trail because I think trails tend to have a lot more, or at least like, mm-hmm. you know, we spent the whole podcast really talking about how it's starting to be more inclusive and there's starting to be more, more women and stuff getting out and doing these kinds of adventures. But definitely once mm-hmm. you get up to, you know, more technical mountaineering, I think there's the numbers drop a lot. And there were quite a few groups that, you know, were either really, really, supportive when they saw that there were two women coming up behind them. And especially when we told them what we were doing, I think they were stoked, but there were also a lot of people who were really hesitant to let us pass them or, um, mm-hmm. kind of maybe not the most encouraging, um, because we were women. And I think like, I don't know, I think that that's something that will take time to change, but I also just think that, 
the experience of going through something big and audacious like this with another woman was was really awesome. And I would encourage anyone else to do that. But I think to get there also, like it takes um, inviting friends and partners and stuff onto things like this, because I think there's a little bit of a bottleneck and women maybe who want to be doing more of these kinds of adventures, but don't quite have the full skill set they need to get there. And it's mm-hmm. going to take someone else, whether it's male or female, to, to, to grab their hand and be like, hey, come do this thing with me. I'll teach you how to do it. Um, and I think a lot of times like that, that kind of piece is missing and it only helps perpetuate this stigma of what men and women are capable of doing. Oh my gosh. You just like the, the last question that I was going to ask you to end this is um is like what is your advice to you know to I mean the next generation of women or you know women who are just getting into trail running right now um like do you have any advice for 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 those for those women who are training hard you know like they're super excited about the sport and they you know they want to see where it can take them. Yeah, I I think Probably most of us have goals and uh, dreams and even like maybe like bucket list things that we want to do, but we're kind of afraid to go for or or tell other people that we want to do because we're not really sure if it's possible or we think maybe it's a little bit crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I've been doing that to myself for years and little by little, I'm starting to check those things off and starting to learn that it's not crazy. And actually like you can go for those things. And so I think like the first step towards a lot of this is just listening to your gut and trusting yourself and being bold. And then after that, you know, going for the asking for help, um, finding other friends to go out with getting, getting the resources and stuff you need to do this kind of thing. Um, asking, you know, finding role models and asking them for, for help for things and not being afraid of that. And I think if you are in the position, you know, where you have people asking you or you're, you're trying to lead by example. And I think like you and I, I, you know, I, I definitely am going to try to do this more, like be open to, to helping people and sharing, sharing advice with people and just trying to do the best that I can do to help provide resources to get people out there and kind of break some of these stigmas a little bit more. Oh man, I love it. And I I think you're right. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of people taking responsibility and, and also just like being the source of like a positive encouragement. And with that, I think it can go a long way. And man, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I mean, I think like we had, oh man, like I said, I could keep talking to you for forever about all this stuff. And, and I encourage um, those of you who don't know about the infinity loop, like look more into it. It's super gnarly. I'm I'm like, oh man, I want to just have like a podcast interview with you about like that experience. <laughs> but yeah. There are a lot of stories, but yeah, no, we could go on forever. So we should probably cut it off here at some point. Uh but thank you so much, Caitlin. It was such a pleasure. And um yes, I guess, you know, I'll see you on the trail sometime soon. I hope so. Yeah. And thanks so much for having me on and thanks for not being afraid to talk about some of these kind of tricky topics with me. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on the train, right? Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
make sure to visit our website at trainwright.com slash podcast. You can find social links and more information from our guests. And you can also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. You can leave us a rating on iTunes there too. Hope you guys tune in next week.